Hello, listeners. Before diving into today's episode, I wanted to share a few ways you can go deeper with the ideas I talk about in this podcast and support my work. The first is my book, The Pathless Path, which many of you have probably already heard about, but if you haven't purchased it already, I really think you'll love it. The second is The Pathless Path Community, which I just opened up as a one-time pay-what-feels-right access fee. And in that group, you can meet hundreds of other people from around the world on unconventional paths like me. Finally, I'm working on a second book tentatively called Good Work, which is going to explore my deeper relationship with work and how that led to a lot of the transformations in my life. You can follow along in my newsletter, Pathless, which you can also find a link to that in the show notes if you want to learn more about that. Without further ado, let's dive into the show. Welcome to the Boundless Podcast. I'm Paul Millard, and I created this podcast because I'm passionate about making sense of the future of work and having conversations with the innovators, creators, and thought leaders who are carving their path in today's fast-changing world. You can check out the podcast and more on BoundlessPod.com. Chris, welcome to the podcast today. I'm looking forward to talking to you. I think people are really going to enjoy your energy and passion. Now, you recently took the leap to working on your own and setting up a consulting brand called Uncommonly. I love how you positioned it as a message for what you want to cause in the world while still being authentic to who you are. Now, you sent me a bio, and the first line is you introduce yourself as the founder of Uncommonly and also an avid fan of Survivor. Question for you. What does Survivor have to do with consulting? Oh, Survivor has to do with everything in life. And thank you for having me, by the way. Survivor is a really good microcosm of how the real world works. Because the idea is that you have these people on teams competing against one another, forming alliances, building coalitions that may or may not hold together for more than just one vote, uh, one voting block. And that's how life is. And I think consulting is just a reflection of life. I mean, you're constantly navigating all these relationships and trying to get stuff done and hopefully make things land in your favor. So the consultant is like the, uh, the Jeff Probst position of trying to figure out what's going on, though, right? <laughs> no, no. The consultant is the player. I mean, you're in the weeds and you're in these complex organizations where things are rapidly changing and there's all these personalities and dynamics at play. And as a consultant, you're trying to rally people and make your outcome be the outcome that sticks. Awesome. So I'd love to step back and hear more about your career journey. I think you have a pretty interesting path. Uh, so you're most recently a consultant and pursuing that path as a freelancer, but you started as a teacher. Um, how did, how did that shape, uh, where you are today and, um, how you've thought about your career? Yeah, I think that teaching is the foundation for everything I do now. It's the yeah. hardest job I had. It's also the most rewarding job that I've had and I say this all the time to people who are looking to make a career switch or people who have been especially teachers 
that the skills you learn there are super transferable. So what I mean by that is you learn as a teacher how to set a big goal for your kids, then how to create the, the assessment that you're going to use to measure them against that big goal. Then you create all of the content to actually deliver to them. Then you see where they're at against the content and then you measure your progress. So you're living through this instructional life cycle. And I think it's one of the most transferable skills in certainly in corporate America that you can have. I like it. So yeah, let's, let's talk about acting. You posted a video of you launching your brand uncommonly, and it also links to some videos you've been vlogging for a while. Would love to hear how that started for you, and also might want to just tell people what vlogging is. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really know what vlogging is. That's a good question. I create all these videos. I don't. I never consider myself really a vlogger, but I guess that is what it is. I would define vlogging first and foremost as just putting video content into the world, but with a you're the center of it and it's just your ideas. It's kind of like a spoken blog. That's how I think about my content. And mine came about because I started working with a life coach in March of 2017 and she was constantly asking me, what do you want to do? What do you want to create? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And she would ask that question over and over again. Literally, you're sitting in a room and she'll you'll do an exercise with her where she says, what do you want? And then you say it. Then she'll ask you again, what do you want? And you just keep doing it for six minutes. And one of the first things that I started realizing I wanted was to be an influencer, to be able to put compelling ideas out there, to be able to have a voice. And I thought, well, what's a really good way to do that? I like video and I like talking and I think I'm an interesting talker. So I started filming myself walking down the street selfie style in New York City. And I just committed to posting twice a week for four or five months. And now I have this whole little database of me walking down the street talking. Any unexpected lessons from doing that? Very, very practically speaking, I realized that the level of energy you need to have when you're talking into the camera is yeah. dialed up like 20 <laughs> times higher than what you think it needs to be. Because if you just talk normally, it comes off super flat. So I found myself screaming into the camera and I didn't anticipate that I would have to dial up my already very zany personality for it to really shine on screen. Somebody gave me the advice before you're giving a presentation, look do it in a mirror, but do it screaming. That way, when you're presenting to an audience, you still have that energy, but you're not as a madman because you'll naturally kind of slow down when you're in front of people. Yeah, I think I think the energy definitely comes through. I think if one of your... So in one of your original videos, you were talking about careers, and you weren't at the point where you had chosen to kind of take your own path as a freelancer, and you described yourself as a two-year career hopper. I love that. I love that term. I think that's what a lot of work is going to become. So how did you get from two year career hopper to um, pursuing the freelance path? No, I'm not. And that video that you reference, I think it's called what it's something about why to, why you should quit your job right now yeah. or how to quit your job. And in it, I kind of tell a fib because I say, I'm not looking to quit my job, but I know a lot of you guys are and you should. And the truth was when I posted that, I was very much yeah. already starting my own company on the side. And 
I just didn't want my uh, previous employer to get super suspicious if I stretched the truth. And uh, But no, now that I'm on my own, I'm not thinking of it in two-year segments because I feel like I finally have the freedom to build something. I've never felt empowered in any of the jobs that I've had up until now being on my own to really build whatever I want or create whatever I want. So at the two-year mark, unless there's an opportunity for you to really have a stake or have some skin in the game, then then it's it just becomes boring. It's Groundhog's Day. And if there, unless there's really a clear career trajectory, then I just I felt always trapped, like I needed to get out of there. And now that I'm on my own, I don't anticipate that um, that, that will be the case, mainly because... I think there's an opportunity opportunity for limitless creation for me to just keep building and creating whatever I want on my own timeline. Right. Yeah. And where's the focus now? Are you, I know you put a lot of work into kind of launching your brand and thinking about the uh, principles behind that. What's, what's keeping you energized right now? I'm really excited about the inclusion and diversity space right now. I think that, this is not only is it societally a really important thing to be thinking through, uh, building organizations that are actually reflective of the communities in which we live and work. And I mean diversity in the broadest sense. So um, any of your protected class statuses, of course, and then even things that aren't protected class status, ideas, background, beliefs, those that type of diversity also matters a lot. And not only is it important in society, but I think right now it's having a a moment in the business world. I think business leaders are thinking and talking about this topic more seriously than they have previously. And there's a real appetite to get it right. And I see this most prominently playing out on in kind of the recruiting and talent management space. So it's how do we recruit top talent that is diverse and once that talent is in the organization, how do we actually support them and give them meaningful career pathways and meaningful channels to pursue? And that's that's straight up talent management and building organizations that support people from many different backgrounds and achieving the goals that they have for themselves. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, you probably have a similar experience as me in consulting. You've probably worked with very diverse teams, but I think you hit on a really key point, which is that... And a lot of these companies, there really isn't diversity of ideas. There isn't diversity of levels of people. Um, there isn't diversity of age. And uh, we still default to uh, who's the who's the highest ranking person in the room, who's the uh, highest paid person in the room. And, uh, there, I mean, there's so much opportunity there. That's right. I was working with a um, data security software company on my most recent project as a freelancer. And... They were launching a new go-to-market strategy for all of their sales force for 2018. And it was a, it was a very much a, a large shift within their organization in terms of how they were going to sell, how they were going to go to market, how they were going to interact with customers. So my job was to kind of come in and get everyone pumped up and roll out this new, this new strategy and align people so that they're bought into it. And this organization, I, I just, I haven't worked in a, in an organization that's so homogenous in quite some time, really interesting people, very cool people. But I was shocked when I walked in the door for the final day of workshops and it was just um, 
bro city. It was <laughs> a, a, a good old boys club through and through. Pretty yeah. much a very um, white male, 45 years old sales guy. That was the demographic. And I just, you know, working in New York City, I, I, that's not what my day-to-day usually looks like. But those pockets, I think that 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 picture that I just painted of that organization is, I think, very representative of what a lot of our companies look like. And it's certainly what a lot of our leadership teams look like. And that's an even bigger issue. Yeah, I think one of the so one of the challenges I've noticed from this is that, uh, I mean, even for me personally, I didn't have a there wasn't a big diversity of male role models. Um, so how did you experience this? It's, uh, there's kind of that one archetype of the male role models. I actually ended up having a lot of, uh, women who I really looked up to and inspired me. Um, but what are you seeing in terms of this? My entire life has been, I think from, from a mentorship perspective, dominated by, by women and the people that I've looked up to not only professionally, but personally have always been women. So I, I think that it's it's definitely been a challenge for me to to find male role models that I look up to at work. I did work with one excellent. It's hard to find role models in general at work. Right. I think it's really that, hard to find. Is that shift. a corporate world thing, or do you think it's just uh, people aren't wired to kind of think about mentorship and those things? I don't know, because I think of all the different spheres or domains that I've operated in over the course of my life. You know, I was an athlete. I was always on an athletic team or part of athletic programs. I did uh, chorus in in high school and I, I was religious for a season of my life. And so when I look at the religious community, when I look at the athletics community, when I look at the arts community, I do see mentorship. I do see people stepping up as leaders and forging the way. And I don't see that same thing in corporate America. And I think it's been really hard for me to find people who actually want to take the time to invest and, and cultivate, you know, me as a, as a, as a person and to invest in my development. So I do kind of think it's a corporate thing. Well, we have some, we have some work to do, but uh, hopefully we can make a dent. Yeah, I think. In one of your other uh, videos, you talk about the line, bad leadership, failed leadership, lack of decision-making, toxic work environments. Um, now, I've also seen, a, a, I do have some hope. I think I've seen a lot of organizations really uh, thinking about how do I build high-performing organizations. But I, so many organizations are stuck in this uh, trap. Like, What do you think are some of the drivers for that? Yeah, I... I should say that I have also seen things done the right way. So I'll answer your question. But before I do, I just was recently working with an agency. They're a a technology and design ideas agency that is now looking to move into the business transformation space, which is really where I play most often. And I've been working with them in partnership. And I've been so impressed with the way that they collaborate, share information transparently and work together on a day to day basis. Again, I'm not I'm not baked fully into their culture, so I'm sure there's issues there. Anytime you have more than one person in a room, there's gonna be tension or right. issues. Right. So but they they're doing it right. And um I think that, 
when I think when I think about the difference between how they're operating and how they work versus some of these other organizations, it's they there is a clear commitment to collaboration and to ideas. So many organizations are not really thinking about ideas and why ideas matter. Or if they are thinking about it, it's one or two people, but there's not really the political will to make it a place where people really will share information and will really, you know, generate awesome stuff together. Most organizations just don't, don't prioritize that because they're so in the weeds with getting the day to day done. So, you know, I don't know exactly what the drivers are, but I do think that when you prioritize ideas, you get better outcomes from your people. Yeah. I love that. I think, that's the second time we brought up ideas, but I th- I think this is emerging as so important because more work is becoming complex. You need creativity to kind of figure out, carve new paths, create new content, and uh, the power is shifting to the frontline people creating. And if we don't have the idea of meritocracy, to borrow a phrase from uh, Ray Dalio. Uh, it's really hard for those companies to kind of shift and uh, serve clients as as they want to be served. That's exactly right. Meritocracy is a really good word for it, too, because most companies are not actual meritocracies. They are, uh, I think of companies more as like little feudal manners where <laughs> there's a very limited supply of power and influence and also money to go around. And the people at the top are hoarding it for themselves. And I think the lower down the ladder you get, just the less opportunity there is to really prove yourself or get a piece of the pie for yourself. Yeah, I think that's also something that kind of drove me to pursue the freelance path. I think I was scared of becoming that person um, because I think on the the margin, it's very easy to kind of fall in the trap and say, well, I deserve this or um, I've worked hard and... People have, like people at the top, they've put in their time, they've put in hard work, they've maybe dealt with even more toxic work environments, so it's a, it's a hard challenge. But I think like looking in the long term and stepping back has really helped me kind of make sense of things. Is Does that resonate with you? Yeah, that's a great point. A lot of these people who are now in positions of uh, power have endured a career that was probably riddled with so much drama right. and drama that... I just don't have any interest in living through that cycle uh, myself. Also, as a freelancer and and now as a business owner myself, every single time that I put effort towards something, I can expect to get a return. So I know as a freelancer that when I put in an extra day's work, I'm going to get paid for that extra day's work. And that if if more work needs to get done, I'm going to get paid on top of that. So even financially being incentivized, to go above and beyond is so much more it's so much more of a reality in the freelance world compared to working as a full-time salaried employee where you can go above and beyond and unless the right person will acknowledge and then also reward you for it then your your effort is really going to go unrecognized yeah so so when did you first know you weren't cut out for the default path I think that I've always kind of understood this about myself. I just didn't know that it would lead to me starting my own company by the time I was 30. So my family overall is just 
unconventional in the sense that everyone there's a very there's an entrepreneurial thread that runs through my family. Now, I'm not saying they've been successful entrepreneurs. I mean, I but I think of my grandma, for example, we call her Mima, and she her most of her adult life she spent on weekdays driving around town, going through people's garbage and finding clothing and home items and decorative items that she could then take to the flea market on sun- Saturdays and Sundays and sell at a marked up price. And sometimes she would spend the week kind of sprucing it up. She was very creative. She would rearrange things, paint them, whatever it was, and then go sell it at the flea market. And I watched her, you know, professionally, that's what she did for a living my entire adolescence, childhood and adolescence. And similarly, you know, my, 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 Uncle started a business, not wildly successful, but he worked for himself. My brother is an entrepreneur and works for himself. I think we just have that work for yourself mentality. And I've always had that as part of who I am. I just didn't know how it would manifest in my specific context. Yeah. When, so I've been talking to people who take this freelance leap and what you often find is that you're like, the initial experiments or side hustles or activities on the side, I think for you, vlogging was probably one of those things. But yep. they start building your confidence and you start slowly building piece on piece before you take the actual leap. I think a lot of people think you just kind of jump out there and start on your own. But what were some of those building blocks for you that helped you build the confidence to uh, take that leap? You're, that's a great point. I think for sure, starting my vlog and going out there and, and building a YouTube channel was a confidence boost. And additionally, all of the career experiences that I've had leading up to this point were equipping me to do this. I just didn't realize it. So specifically consulting, for example, I was at a point in my consulting career where I was already selling work, building, I was managing client relationships. I was also delivering the client work. I was project managing my own initiatives. I was bringing in new logos to my company. So I was able to get, you know, a master services agreement in place with a large insurance company. So I had all of the skills that I was building to then be able to do this on my own. And it got to a point where I said to myself, if I literally just keep doing what I'm doing, (laughs) but I stop doing it for you guys and I start doing it for myself, I'm going to be wildly successful. So there was really not a huge leap, like you're saying because I just kept doing what I was already doing. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm like you. I'm a two-year career hopper, maybe even less than two years. But I think you you realize, looking back, that doing random things that might not seem connected give you all this combination of skills that give you a lot of confidence to kind of move in a lot of different directions. Yeah, and the best thing about consulting is you get really good at change and ad- adaptation. And I think about, you know, I'm 30 and I've worked at over a dozen Fortune 500 companies, not including the firms that employed me. I've worked at two different consulting firms and I've had clients at over a dozen Fortune 500 companies across the insurance industry, the pharmaceutical industry, across publishing, media and entertainment. I've worked in corporate philanthropy. So that set of experiences, just just getting the opportunity to get bounced around and thrown into lots of different situations and then having high expectations to perform in those situations, I think has equipped me with, I call it change resilience. I think I'm just very resilient and able to just get thrown into things and figure it out. 
And I'm really comfortable doing that in ways that I think a lot of people who have more traditional career paths or who have stayed longer at one company, they just don't have that same experience of having to be resilient and getting really good at change and uncertainty. Yeah. So if you're giving advice to somebody earlier in their career, how would you advise them to uh, build that resilience? Just leave, leave your job like your uh, video was getting people to do? I think as soon as someone has an idea that they want to try something else, they should, they should go. They should leave. I think if you wake up and you say, this is not my future, if you can say definitively, this is not my future, then you need to get out of there. And that doesn't mean leave immediately, but start laying the foundation to, to move. And I also would not fear the idea that if I jump every year or if I jump every two years, then my resume is going to be called into question. I think that anyone who calls into question your resume because you've jumped every two years does not understand the direction that the workforce is going and doesn't understand what the future of work looks like. And I wouldn't take that person's opinion very seriously. Right. Yeah. You don't want to work for those people. Yeah. And you don't want to work for that person. If someone's idea of work is that you need to suffer through something for whatever, whatever number of years they think is an appropriate amount of time, then that's just not the person I even want to be working with to begin with. Yeah, agreed. I've uh, I've had people say when they're interviewing me, well, you are a job hopper, but uh, we do need your skills. <laughs> and yeah, and we can't you- find someone with your skills. So it's like, okay, perfect. So I had to uh, do the job hopping to end up here. That's a, that's such a good point. I've never had someone, you know, people pretend they have a problem at first. Like they love to pretend that they're like, well, it looks like you've jumped around a lot. But at the end of the day, when you're delivering a Grand Slam interview and you're clearly wildly capable of doing the job, they're going to want you because th- this is also the truth of corporate America. It's a revolving door. People are moving in and out of companies nonstop. So and everyone believes that the silver bullet is outside their organization right now. If we just had this next person come in, they right. could really own, they'll own this initiative and they'll really see it through. And as long as that remains the trend, I mean, I think there will always be demand for, for, for new, new people and organizations. And just consulting itself is built that way. Like as a consultant, you're constantly changing, going on to new projects. So I, I personally, love to see when people have bounced around and have lots of different experiences. So, so I ask people what, what to not ask you. And you said, are you, are you scared or nervous? And it's funny, I've gotten this question a lot and I think it probably says more about the people asking the question. Uh, but people still have so much fear in the workplace. I think, uh, maybe you have those family influences that give you more confidence. Um, maybe it's just the things you've, you've gone through, but, uh, how, how do we fix that? Like, how do we get people to realize that they have so much capability and opportunity out there? You know, that's a really good question. People have to generate it on their own. I think, I, I don't know if you've read these articles out there. There's a bunch of them on medium. People write about this idea that most people are inclined to kind of settle for average or even above average, but maybe not for greatness, like their, their true most powerful version of themselves. Most people will settle for a lesser version. 
But what's interesting about that is that means that there's more people competing within that mediocre space than there is at the top. And I think that then you have all these people competing for kind of just average jobs, average um, salary increases, average work in terms of how meaningful it is, when really they could probably, if they would take a leap, generate something on their own that is far greater than this mediocre world that they're being kind of that they're being sold that's being sold to them and then they buy into it so the the answer for me is about asking people what do you really want if you could create anything what would you create having them generate those answers and then if that answer doesn't match their current situation supporting them and coaching them to to the outcome and to, to change their behavior to get the thing they said they just wanted. But there's no way, unless someone generates the idea for themselves or generates the vision for themselves, there's no way to convince them that they should make a move or that they're capable of it. They have to first want the thing. They have to want it. Yeah, I love it. It's uh, it's about setting those bigger aspirations. I, I never made that uh, connection before, but it, it makes so much sense, right? If you're competing for the middle, everyone's in the middle. Um, so setting those higher aspirations, it's it's really the uh, Elon Musk playbook. But you don't need to, you don't need to go that crazy, but um, kind of the same thinking. Yeah, I think think of it this way: competing for the middle. You said it so succinctly. That's what I was trying to say. When I was at my last company, there was a team. I was on a team of 22 people. Probably one person is going to get promoted. We're all ready for it. We're all seasoned. We're all veteran, awesome, all-star people. So you've got 20 people competing for one promotion in a year, and it's not even a great promotion. It's like this tiny little incremental. It like your job's not really going to change. You know, just a tiny little incremental move up the ladder. But on the outside of that, it's like now I've started my own company and I'm looking to generate a million dollars in revenue this year and build a team of five people. That's a way bigger goal. But it's actually easier for me to build my own company and be successful than it would have been for me to get that promotional spot because there's I'm, I'm doing it. I can literally go out and create this thing on my own. I don't have to compete with 20 other people for this measly little middle ground thing that is actually not even what I really want. But I have to say that that's not what I want. I have to be willing to say, I don't actually want this promotion. I want to build a business or I don't want this promotion. I want the job of my boss's boss and I want it tomorrow and I'm ready for it. So once you start to set the big goal, then you can break out of that whole cycle and you can start to, you know, see what you're really capable of. I like it. I I love the passion there. I like the uh, big goal, and uh, hopefully, people listening can uh, help you achieve that. Um, yeah. What, so, what does the leader of the future look like? The leader of the future is aware of who they show up as. So, and the leader of the future is obsessed with who they are being. They're not obsessed with the revenue, they're not obsessed with the the business model or expansion or growth. They're obsessed with who they show up as. And as people, we don't ask that question enough. Who am I showing up as today? Am I showing up as love and joy and and kindness and passion and energy? Or am I showing up as fear 
and doubt and loneliness or any of these other things that we show up as, once you're aware of who you're showing up as, the beauty of it is you get to choose. You get to choose who you want to show up as. And if you show up as love, you're going to make decisions from that place. And if you show up as compassion, you're going to make decisions from that place. And if you show up as power, you'll make decisions from that place. And that is what the future leader will do. And that's what we need. It's not just what they will do. We need them to do that because otherwise people are on autopilot and they're operating from their automatic responses and their survival mechanisms. And that's just no good for anybody. I love it. I I smell another video or at least an article around that topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably a video. <laughs> awesome. What? So are there any influences you've had? It can either be a book or a person or uh, something you've seen that has really inspired you to get where you are today. I, this is going to sound silly. I love Tyra Banks. I think Tyra Banks is like, just the be all end all in terms of being resilient and scrappy. When you think of her, how she did what she did, she started off as a model when she was like 15. Uh, by the time she's 19, I don't even, I don't know. I don't think she went to college actually, if I'm, if I'm correct, like Tyra Banks, I don't think went to college. She just converted a modeling career into a business empire. She's had television programs. She's had cosmetic lines. She's made a whole, business out of modeling and she's pivoted she's the type of person who when oh i'm not 22 anymore i need to figure out like where i can how i can change to, to keep myself in this game she does it she does it over and over again she's reinvented herself so many times and that's so inspiring to me i think and and not to mention you know she's a woman of color and she is just i think she really does show up authentically and i appreciate that about her in terms of like closer to home, like people that I really respect and look up to, um, you know, it's, it's just, I'm thinking specifically in my career, but it's so sad to me. Honestly, I, I, I haven't had many people that I look up to and say, yeah, I'm going to do it like this person did it. I think that's why I've had to do it on my own. Cause I'm like every, every time I look up to somebody, I'm like, no, I'm not going to be you. I, I think that so much, so, so frequently where I look at someone and say, I will not be you when I'm at that age. I look back at some of the people who managed me when they were 30 and now that I'm 30 and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, that's how you're <laughs> supposed to do this. Like right. you were so terrible as a manager and I just don't want to be that person. So sadly, I think day to day in the business world, no, there are not a lot of influences. I mean, personally, yes, I have many wonderful friends and, and, you know, and family who, who inspire me, but not not in the business world i love it so you're creating that uh you're creating the person who uh you want to be inspired by i like it w where can people find out more about the business you're building the work you're doing or anything else you want to share i launched my business back in november of 2017 the website is up now and all of my offerings are on there there's some thought leadership pieces and that's uncommonly.com it's un-commonly.com and of course my youtube channel as well i think if you google chris donahoe youtube you'll probably find my channel and i've started to use instagram quite a bit as well for talking about my business and kind of showcasing my journey to 
building my business, I've started putting a lot of video content on Instagram and that's been a really good forum because it's a little bit quicker than YouTube. So you can get it up there really fast and I can be found on Instagram at uncommonly underscore Chris. Awesome. Well, I'll link that up. It was great talking to you today, Chris. I think, um, I'm definitely inspired by you, uh, to really think about who I am and who I want to be in the world. And, uh, I think you are, uh, driving real positive change out there. So keep it up. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This has been an incredibly fun experiment for me, and I'm loving talking to such incredible guests. I've received some awesome feedback, and I appreciate all the suggestions and just the praise. I'm kind of blown away. Uh, It's just so amazing to have such positive support. I hate asking for further support, but would love if you could share or recommend the podcast to one friend. If you are inclined to support more, I've actually set up a Patreon page, which I am experimenting with and potentially going to release some exclusive content and with the goal of building a community of people who are passionate of making sense of the future of work and enabling people to do work that matters to them. To learn more, you can check that out at bondlesspod.com. Again, thanks for the support. And if you have ideas, questions you want me to answer on a future Q&A podcast or just suggestions, would love to hear them all. Please email me at paul at think-boundless.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. I really appreciate the support and especially always love when people reach out letting me know what they think about the specific episodes. If you want to go deeper into Pathless Path World, you can, of course, check out my book. It's sold. It's going to hit 50000 soon. I think by the time you're hearing this, it will probably have already sold 50000 which is mind-blowing. But I continue all the support of people that buy and share the book. If you want to meet others on Pathless Paths, I have a community, which you can find at pathlesspath.com slash membership, and you can join and meet hundreds of others around the world trying to make sense of weird paths and meeting others along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you have a good day.